For construction workers who aren't signatories to a union, which make up the bulk of the construction force in New York, the landscape in the Empire State is not necessarily very welcoming, according to a report from the Associated Builders and Contractors, which is the national voice for non-union construction contractors. Their report found that New York is rated the lowest in the country when it came to laws and regulations promoting open competition and the development of craft professionals. For more on this report, as well as a broader discussion about so-called merit shops in the construction industry, We're joined on the Capitol Press Room by Brian Sampson, president of the Empire State Chapter of the Associated Builders and Contractors. Thanks for joining us, Brian. Thank you for having us back. It's been a minute. So in New York, what exactly is a merit or open shop contractor, and how prevalent is this dynamic in the state's construction industry? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, when When you think about a merit shop contractor, the people that we represent, they are contractors that want to submit a bid and win a bid based on the merit of that bid without any Mm -hmm. undue influence from government either in their favor or against them. So what our contractors uh, like to do, and and by the way, the vast majority, um, more than 80% of the contractors in New York are not signatory to a collective bargaining agreement. What our, our members want is just a fair opportunity to look at private work and public work, submit their bid, and if their bid is low, they should be awarded the work. If their bid is not, they don't get it. They have to sharpen their pencil and go back at it next time. So that that's the definition of merit shop. When you look at open shop, which is another name, in, in New York, a lot of our general contractors, our owners and our developers, they will look at their project and they will look at their bids. If it is a non-union firm that is the low bid, they're awarded it. If it's a union firm that's low, they're awarded it. So what you get is a mix of union and non-union workers side by side on construction projects. And ironically, you know, downstate, that's pretty prevalent, upstate less so. But it, it just goes to show that it's not the workers that have the issues, right? It's, it's the higher ups and the leadership in those organizations. So that, that's what an open shop contractor construction project looks like. So when it comes to something that's uh, given out solely based on merit, as you see it, what are the types of conditions that you might see in a contract that uh, might look to tip the scales one way or another? Yeah, so I think when, when people look at construction in New York, they look at it from two perspectives, private construction and public construction. Private construction is something that's financed by an individual or a corporation to build you know, a restaurant, a... Uh, hotel, industrial park, office, whatever that may be. Public work are things that are supported by you and I as taxpayers, roads, bridges, sewers. Um, So you have to look at those. But what happens here in the state, and part of the reason why it got such a low grade, is our state will, will pass laws and regulations that tip that scale in the favor of another bid per se. So what we have in New York are called project labor agreements. Mm -hmm. So a PLA is nothing more than a collective, a a pre-hire collective agreement between an owner and the unions about who's going to do the work, how they're going to do the work, and what they're going to get paid. And and that's largely based off the prevailing wage in the state of New York. Now, for everybody to understand, the prevailing wage is a huge misnomer. It is not a combination of wages. It is simply the union wage that is posted with the Department of Labor. That then becomes the wage that you have to pay on that work. 
what New York does is it looks at construction and it realizes that union contractors don't have the ability to pay anything less than the prevailing wage unless they have a negotiated different wage with the union. So the only way to move work that way is to put a PLA on it. PLAs say three out of four of every workers or two out of every four workers have to come from the local union hall. Our members look at that and say, okay, well, if only 50 or 25% of my workers can be on this job, why would I bid it? I've invested in my people. They've invested in us. We know what they can do. They know what we can do. If And why am I going to pick winners and losers in my workforce? I'm just not going to do it. So our people don't bid PLAs, which essentially means all that work ends up with union contractors. And while that's not bad, it reduces competition. It creates stalemates and, and delays on construction projects, especially when you consider here in New York, about 20% of the workforce, depending on where you live and what the trade is, is actually union. I think a lot of people believe New York is this big union construction state. It isn't, right? The, the data is very clear that about 20% of the workers are signatory to a collective bargaining agreement. The rest of them aren't. Depending on where you live, it could be different. Depending on the trade, it can be different. Here in the capital region, it's uh, one of the higher rates in the state at 24%. New York City is about 19 Syracuse area is 18%. Rochester's 14%. Buffalo's 10%. So when you put a PLA in place, essentially what you're doing is saying in western New York in the Buffalo region on the Bills Stadium, only 10% of the workers in that region can actually work on that project. So we're all used to the state requiring conditions with its spending, but do we see the same sort of restrictions on efforts to build things at the the county or town and city level? Yeah, municipalities and localities are under the same requirements as the state. They have to pay prevailing wage and they have to follow certain bidding laws. What the state has actually done and why it again gets a, a poor grade is the state has actually started to dip its toe into the private construction market and telling private owners what they're going to have to pay when they build. And so you have these massive subsidies that have to come for big projects. So when you think about PLAs in the state of New York, you have Micron, right? A $40 billion project in central New York. You have JFK and LaGuardia airports. You have the Gateway Tunnel, the Second Avenue subway, I-81, the Bill Stadium, Kensington Expressway. Some of those are private projects that the state has said you got to do prevailing wage, and you have to do PLAs. Well, private projects that come with huge public subsidies. Correct. So they're those public-private partnerships, so to speak. Allegedly, yes. But now they're even getting into smaller work, right? So the state passed a law a couple years ago that said if you're a project of $5 million or more and you get 30% of your support from the taxpayers, you now have to build prevailing wage. So they're dipping their toe into the private, again, to steer work away from the people we represent and towards the group that they want to support. I want to talk more about prevailing wage, but first let me reintroduce you for listeners just joining us. This is the Capitol Press Room, and we're speaking with Brian Sampson, president of the Empire State Chapter of the Associated Builders and Contractors. When it comes to how prevailing wage is actually calculated, putting aside whether it's good or bad to impose that requirement on projects, is there enough transparency surrounding that prevailing wage? For example, is there reason to believe that uh, the wage is actually reflective of what is paid out and reflects really reality in any way, shape, or form? So two parts to that. So one, 
dark part of my past. I used to negotiate collective bargaining agreements on behalf of signatory contractors, so I do know how this whole process works. I think a lot of people would believe that the prevailing wage would be a combination based on percentages of what the union rate is versus what the market will pay. That absolutely is not the case, not even remotely close. Basically, what the state says is if you believe you represent 30% of the workforce, you have the right to negotiate the prevailing wage that will be applied to that particular trade in that particular region. It's very rare that one organization is going to represent 30% of the workforce. There's a trade here or there based on a region that maybe that's the case, but okay. by and large, doesn't exist. But the state allows the unions to negotiate that wage, and then they post it with the Department of Labor. When challenges have been made to that 30%, it is up to the person who wants to challenge that to demonstrate that that particular union doesn't represent 30% of the workforce. It's happened three times in probably the last couple of decades, each time the court has thrown it out. So there is no transparency on that side about how that actually gets done. I think as it's paid out, to the workers, yes, there's a great deal of transparency. Contractors have to submit certified payrolls. Those payrolls are foilable. Um, there's a lot of organizations out there that their sole purpose is to review all that certified payroll and go after contractors that they think are fraudulently cheating workers. Well, given the realities of Albany right now and really for the foreseeable future, which is that this is a pro-union town, what does your legislative agenda look like for 2024? What do you hope to get done? Do you have big swings that you like to make, or do you have to tell your members, let's be more pragmatic and work around the margins? I think any good association executive and business lobbyist will always tell their members, like, hey, this is New York. We have to understand what we're dealing with here. Um, but I think when we look at 2024, you know, one of the things we've, we've said all along is um, as taxpayers, our quality of life is being negatively impacted by the laws and the regulations of the state of New York, meaning we can't build more affordable workforce housing because it's too expensive without subsidies. And as we saw with the legislature, they didn't agree with the governor. They didn't extend 421A and the number of affordable housing permits in New York City plummeted. So we're never going to get that affordable housing. So we need to see a return of a 421A, a 485W, or whatever the governor and the legislature and the real estate community can agree is good to develop affordable housing and then extend that across the state. So every uh, municipal area should be able to benefit that. Buffalo, Rochester, Syracuse, Albany, they should be able to figure out how to grow affordable workforce housing. So that's a big priority for us. We need to figure out how to invest in the utility grid. Story after story, week after week, right? Utility grid's failing. We need to invest in it. Again, the state has created a decision where renewable projects of one megawatt or more have to be built prevailing wage or with a PLA. We want them to walk that back. Um, we're never going to be able to meet our green energy goals if we're simply saying you have to do prevailing wage and PLA. The owners of those projects, as we've already seen with some of the wind off uh, Long Island, they've taken those dollars and gone elsewhere. So we have to fix that. We have to fix our workers' comp system. I could give you thousands upon thousands of cases of fraudulent slips and falls um, because our workers' comp system is so incredibly generous and because we have corrupt trial attorneys and 
you know, sort of evil for-profit medical providers that are doing unnecessary work on migrants and asylees that are being manipulated because they don't understand, you know, our language and our laws. We need to fix those. And we need to figure out, you know, as we've talked about on the prevailing wage, why can't New York be an amalgamation of private wages and union wages to come up with a plan that would make construction more affordable, right? We can't be 51st or dead freaking last and hope that we have an economic future with an industry that adds hundred, you know, probably $100 billion a year in construction activity. How much more could we do? How much better can we make our roads? How much better can we make our bridges? How can we get rid of, oddly enough, still wooden water pipes in upstate New York that pop and burst every winter. We still have wooden pipes. We have to fix all those things. The only way we're going to do that is if we make construction more affordable. Given, though, the dynamic in Albany, the political realities in Albany, is there any sense that your members need to meet the policymakers halfway to a certain degree? Do they have to be open to some sort of conditions on these contracts, given the way we're heading in New York State? Or is it important that they maintain a line in the sand uh, based on this idea of meritorious contracts? So you always have to stick your right your, your stake in the ground. This is my position. But you always have to be in a position to be able to come up with a consensus that makes sense. Um, if the state is hell-bent on using PLAs, how do we make those PLAs more, more favorable and equal to where an organization, a contractor that we represent, they can put their workers on those jobs and they cannot be tied to the underfunded pension liability that exists in that particular union and that trade that they're going to use. Are there ways that we can change the laws that make them more favorable? Absolutely. And we're always open and willing. You know, I think there's this this misnomer that we're anti-union and that we're an organization of no. Simple fact is we want to pass legislation that makes construction more affordable. At the end of the day, I don't care if you're a union or a non-union contractor. If you have the low bid, you should win. Plain and simple. But if the state is always going to create laws and regulations that tip the playing field and that the unions are going to continue to push those pieces of legislation, then yes, we're always going to oppose those. But we're willing to sit at the table and come up with negotiations that make sense for everybody. Well, unfortunately, we're going to have to leave it there. We've been speaking with Brian Sampson. He is the president of the Empire State Chapter of the Associated Builders and Contractors. Brian, thanks for visiting us in the studio. It's my pleasure. Appreciate the opportunity. Join us again for Capital Press Room, a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.